Hello, everybody. This is Bill from SitRep Podcast, and you're listening to the next exciting adventure here in the SitRep Podcast. In today's show, Marty will bring us the latest and greatest in news. We'll talk about the birth and the death of two different games. And Jim will fill us in on what's going on this weekend in live wargaming. And lastly, we'll talk about our topic. And that topic relates to, can you have fun even if you know you're going to lose or possibly lose? All that and more in today's show. And three, two, one, hit it. Big Duke, six eagle thrust. Put on Cywar off. Make it loud. And the Romeo Fox God, shall we dance? You are listening to the Citrep Podcast. Your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. All right, welcome back for another awesome show. Hey, we got everybody at the table today. Well, of course, as we always do, we're going to do our roll call. And in bright, sunny Florida... Is it sunny today, Jim? Because I was looking at the underwater cam at Deerfield Beach at the pier, and it looked pretty uh, turbid. So, is it? How is it out there? Oh, uh, that underwater cam you're talking about yeah, at Deerfield one. Beach? That's like that's like three miles away from my house. Is it really? Crow flies. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I live in Deerfield Beach. Nice. Um, right now it's gorgeous. Is yeah. it really? Okay. We're is- dodging some hurricanes. Well, the hurricanes are turning away from us, which is good. Okay. Um, so is the water a little angry right now? Is that why the camera? I haven't, so? I haven't been there. I gotcha. haven't been there in a while. Gotcha. It's, it's possible that from Hurricane Sam, some of the swells are, are turning up some stuff. Gotcha. Um, that's normally a very calm beach. Like the, like the surfers never go there. Yeah. It's, there's never, there's never any waves or turbulence. Yeah. We watch that, uh, camera like every day and watch the pier, the underwater camera at the pier. Cause it's amazing what you see at that pier. So. I know that pier. I'm I'm literally three miles away as a crow, crow flies from awesome. that pier. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, welcome, Jim, to this awesome show. We're glad you're here with us. And over here in the Midwest, we have our computer guru, Mr. And now laser guy. Makes more freaking lasers. Mr. Christopher Wimmer, how are you, sir? Doing fine. Laser. Laser. Have you melted anything yet or cut off Marty's toe? No. Okay. Not yet. Well, you're not trying hard enough. Nope. Not yet. To be fair, we ha- we haven't actually uh, installed the laser yet. Oh. The tube. The tube. So, so yeah, it, it's coming probably. <laughs> Just saying. Yep. So that voice you guys hear is Mr. Martin Jaffer, our projects director. And if you guys haven't been catching up on the Facebook page... They've been posting pictures of the two of them, the dynamic duo, working on creating a laser cutter from a. It's a kit, right? Is it's not like a homebrew? Nope. It's an actual kit, or is it a homebrew? No. Uh, so it's not actually a homebrew. Well, Chris, you explain it. I mean, it's really this is really your project. Um, it's not a it's not a homebrew, but it's not a kit. It's a, a site that gives you the instructions and a parts list. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, okay. yeah, detailed instructions, all the parts that uh, the guy used. He's got a, like a 10 or 12 series of uh, tutorial videos on building it. Uh-huh. And uh, so we said, okay, 
we, we can pretty much read and watch videos and have tools to cut things and whatnot. Sure. So, so far it's gone together. Awesome. Despite our best so is efforts. this readily available materials or do you have to yeah. order them from like special sites? Uh, oh, the material uh, depends on the site. You can get it pretty much all one site if you want. Uh-huh. Uh, but Amazon has a lot and depends on how long you want to wait for the parts. Gotcha. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. That's the show. We'll see you later. No, I'm kidding. Um, as it's been great. We, as we <laughs> typically do here at the podcast, we like to do some catch-up on what you have been doing over the last two weeks for hobbying and other good, crazy stuff. And since you guys have already piqued my curiosity with this laser, why don't you guys talk more about your projects and uh, really tell us about this laser and what do you plan to do with it? Oh, it's a freaking well, laser. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. Um, it's going to have, uh, it's going to be close to a two foot by four foot bed, a uh, hundred watt laser. Okay. Is that and, good? Uh, it's a yeah. Lot. yeah. 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 That's, that's, um, for, for a home, uh, laser, that's, that's on the high end of power. Okay. Yep, and to put it into some perspective, uh, the Glowforge I think is forty watt. Uh huh. Glowforge Pro is fifty watt. Okay. And so, the bed's obviously much smaller. So on the Glowforge. I, I, I'm on Amazon just looking at laser cutters, just so I get a frame of reference. So everything I'm seeing is pretty much twenty to forty watts. There is a hundred and fifty watt, but it says it's CO two. Do you need CO two for your thing to keep it cool? No, we. It, we use water. Oh. It's got a uh, it, it's got a chiller system. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be very interested. To, man, that's like four grand. Uh, be very interested to see how this works out. So, what are your plans for said laser cutter? Uh, we're going to be putting Before in. We, get into that, we have to remind everybody that Alderon is in fact already blown up. <laughs> so you can't blow it up again. <laughs> Oddly enough, Jim, so the other night when we were working on that, I think I cracked that joke like three times. <laughs> like, All right, so I'm not even original now. All right, no worries. Keep going. Sorry for interrupting. Well, I'm like, what are we going to test fire it on? <laughs> Jim, no, that but was it comes awesome. Down to, and, yeah. and, and I need a, you know, a, a four-foot-seven four princess. Well, you have that. You have that, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's true. I have like three of them at my house. <laughs> For, well, for those no, of, you have you have two of them. For this one, your queen. Oh, okay. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, the uh, the Schaefer ladies are all four uh, eleven, literally <laughs> all four eleven. Well, Mor- Morgan might be five even, but it's hard telling. That's awesome. It's like Lily put over here, land of the little people. <laughs> That's very cool. All right, so. Yeah. All right, so the um, yeah, go ahead with the laser. Yeah, the uh, if anybody wants to look it up, um, if you go to YouTube and you look at further fabrication, uh, great guy, uh, great instructional videos. Okay. Yeah, he's a, he's an Aussie from down under. Nice. Uh, actually, he's not an Aussie. He's a New Zealander. Oh, so he's a Kiwi. Oh, yep, Kiwi. he's in Australia though, right? No. 
bitching about Australia. Something about Australia in one of them. Man, now you just started yeah. a war. <laughs> Threw me off. Yeah, well, you know, they're all on lockdown, so they can't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> but this guy's definitely got some talent. He's uh, He works in the film industry as a... Um, what did you say it was, Marty? Uh, designer? I was going to say some sort of... Uh, uh, like set designer. Yeah. Um, so between his first and second video, um, I guess there was a long period of time and he apologized because the film industry called and he needed to go to work. Mm. And uh, it appears that uh, he was working on um, Avatar 2. Wow. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. All right. So, as far as your uh, laser cutter engraver, are are you planning to do like terrain and stuff with it, or just whatever? Uh, everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, everything from that to cutting foam for tools or miniatures. Yep. Yeah. Um, plastics. Hmm. Yeah. It. So. Once we have the ability to uh, like laser cut terrain, uh-huh. then we have to figure out how to design it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, this you is know, all the, about AutoCAD and all that stuff. So yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I, I mean, we've never. But I think on Thingiverse, we've never designed it before. On Thingiverse, you can get files too. You know, if you want to look. Oh at yeah. Stuff. So yeah, there's all kinds of files out there. But that's cool. That's very cool. I'm just another tool yep. in the arsenal. No pun intended. Absolutely. So. Very cool. All right. Absolutely. So, outside of trying to create the next uh, Death Star, uh, what else have you guys been up to? Uh, for me, that's it. That's it. I've been that and uh, working. Gotcha. I know you're working on your research or something like that, right? I did complete my research. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've uh, been doing a little painting. Uh-huh. I got, uh, let's see, I got three heroes from. Dust and a uh, Ranger Observer Squad, because uh, as you know, Bill, I've always bitched about not <laughs> not not being able to effectively use my artillery because I don't have a legit observer. Mm-hmm. Well, now I do, so nice. getting those guys painted up. And then I decided, you know, I paint a lot of green and brown, mm-hmm. a lot. So uh, I wanted to I wanted a little change of pace, so I cracked open uh, uh, Guild Ball. I bought a uh, I bought a Guild Ball uh, starter set at my friendly local hobby uh, Didn't store. Did they give you a starter set? I had like four. No, you, no, you get you gave me some boxes of figures, but oh. I mean I've got the the box set that's got you know the okay. the rules, the starter, the starter dudes, the yeah. dice, the yeah. mat, all that. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I started uh, painting those guys up. You know, and it's actually a really good game, and it's amazing. You know, we can talk about that because that kind of rolls into one of our topics. But Guild Ball is a good game. I think you'll like it. Yeah, well, yeah, it it looks like it. And I'm like, well, I'm not playing unpainted because I'm that guy. (laughs) I could, but, you know, I'm I'm that guy. Why why would I? I have to paint, and I enjoy painting. So uh, the Brewer's Guild is almost done, and the Mason's Guild is primed and – I think I just, uh, I do, you know, I kind of do the inside out method. So I think, uh, yeah, they just have their skin painted. So they they will be next. And then, uh, yeah, 
me and the kids will play some field ball. Very cool. That's awesome. I, you'll like it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, really it looks is. like it. And, you, you know, I know I know Steam Forge let the game die. Yeah. Um, that Okay, that's not correct. I know they no longer support it. Right. You know, because <laughs> the game is still, you know, it's, it's still out there. there. But, yes, you're right, 100%. It's no longer supported, which is a damn yeah. shame because, again, we'll talk about that here shortly. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I was looking for inspiration on how to paint, and uh-huh. there's there's a lot of stuff out there yeah. about it, and yes, people seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, looking forward to it. Very cool. All but right. yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's been about it. You know, spent a, spent some time over there. Chris is helping him build this freaking laser. Laser. Yeah. Very cool. Sir Jim, how are you, sir? Are you ready? Not too bad. Hit it. Um, a lot, a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot of uh, valor and victory is pretty much taking over my life at the moment. Um, work's been very busy. We just completed another end of quarter, so I haven't had a whole lot of poppy time to begin with. And then on top of that, um, yeah, it's been valor and victory. Play testing for the upcoming um, Stalingrad scenario pack that we're doing for uh, some people. Yep. Um, yeah, it's just been a lot of that. Uh, we had, we did, we did feature some of it on our recent stream and that was a lot of fun. We had a game at Pavlov's house, uh, with Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, you know, actually pretty kick ass. Um, a, it's a fun video. Sometimes those games are like, okay, this guy's winning. Can this guy hold out? And again, this rolls into our topic, so I won't go into it too much. But this game really was, you know, back and forth, like mm-hmm. a set of saloon doors, man. I mean, I'm rolling twos, threes, and fours, which is the best rolls possible in that game. He's rolling tens, elevens, and twelves, and then the next turn it's reversed. And the uh, it's a great video uh, if you guys want to check it out. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it, um, it was good to hear Andrew back on the channel. So. Oh yeah, we have we've had we did Andrew recently, or we featured him recent somewhat recently. He was uh, he did we did uh, part of Operation Goodwood in yeah. Panzer Leader. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, so you know, we we go back and forth. I mean, we we we, we tried to cycle through, yeah. uh, you know, our players on our Sundays so that we're not, you know, burning anybody out besides me. Um, I'm just kidding. So we're not burning anybody out, and we don't want to, you know, get the audience, you know, tuned off or anything like that. Right. Uh, which leads us into tomorrow. Tomorrow's game will be a little bit later in the day than usual. So for people who like to check out our Sunday streams, I know there's some of you out there. Don't log on at the normal time and say, Oh, they're, they're crapping out on us. We are going to be on. It's just going to be a little bit later in the day. Yeah. It's going to be 5 PM Eastern, 10 PM UK time. Cause we have Dylan on tomorrow's uh, stream, LSR 2590 or another historian gamer. Sorry. Another historian war gamer. If you want to check out his great YouTube channel. Um, and he is uh, in Queensland, Australia. So he's going to be getting up on a Monday at like 6 AM in the morning. Um, in order to uh, to game with us, yeah. So even with that, kind of, you know, we were talking, or you guys were talking about it on on the Wednesday show about how global we are with some of these games. There is a flip side to that. Time zones do become an issue. Yes, they do. So he's got to get up at a really wonky time. We're going to have to push back our normal broadcast time a little bit, but we're going to meet in the middle, and it's going to be like at five p.m. Eastern. I guess that's four p.m. for you guys, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 10 p.m. Uh, in, in the UK, but we are going to be on and we're going to be looking at, we're going to be using Panzer Leader uh, Moderns. We're going to go back to Moderns because we've just done Stalingrad. 
you want to do at least 50% post 1945 as always. And the subject is going to be a uh, something that's kind of piqued my interest lately, and that's going to be um, one of the other areas where NATO and Russia could conceivably really come to loggerheads. Oh. Um, we've done the Ukraine now a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is in the Baltic states. Yeah, We're talking about Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia. These are three countries that used to be Soviet republics. They were Soviet republics starting in April 1940, and they've been Soviet republics ever since, until the fall of the Soviet Union, obviously. Now they are NATO states. Mm-hmm. So I, part of NATO are, is literally part of what used to be the Soviet Union. So we've, <laughs> not with tanks and, and gunships and artillery, but we've, through politics and diplomacy, invaded part of what used to be the Soviet Union and taken their, what used to be Soviet territory and made it into uh, NATO countries. Right. Um, needless to say, this does not sit well in Moscow at all. Never has, never will, especially since these three states happen to sit right next to the Baltic Sea. The Russian naval and maritime access to the Baltic Sea has been a very touchy issue with the Russians since the days of Peter the Great. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Battle of Narva, the, the Great Northern War, Charles XII of Sweden, they've been fighting over this for 400 years. And they're not slowing down anytime soon. Um so with those three being NATO states now and Poland just to the south also being a NATO state, this this is the other big thing that could potentially uh, – I mean, we're going to have like an actual battlefield battle tomorrow with tanks and artillery yep. and helicopter gunships because that's what we like to do. I don't think that's ever going to happen or at least not in the foreseeable future. But the next Ukraine could easily be Estonia or – especially Estonia or Latvia. Yeah. There's at least a 25 or 30% Russian ethnic population there, and that's the kind of place that uh, Moscow likes to target. Um, they, you know, incite some sort of violence in the ta- in, in the in the area. They um, claim that their ethnic population is being oppressed or whatever, and then before you know it, there's a little rebellion going on there, and Russia is totally air quotes not supporting um, some sort of separatist movement or whatever. Right. Um, now, in the Ukraine, that's one thing. In, you know, the Caucasus, that's another thing. In, uh, you know, Maldi- what used to be Moldavia, that's another thing. Um, this would be actually NATO states. So how this would interact with Articles 4 and 5 of the NATO Charter is a big topic for debate. We can probably talk about this more tomorrow. Um, but it's, it's, it's a thing that could really happen. And this is why American troops and British troops are now stationed in Poland. And this is why, you know, even the Croatians, all kinds of countries are sending troops um, to either northern Poland or these three Baltic states. Because this this could be the next, you know, the next big one, Um, you know, depending on what happens uh, between, you know, Washington and Moscow and Brussels and Moscow and and everything else. So we'll be taking a a look at that tomorrow starting at 5 p.m. Eastern. Nice. That'll be awesome. I look forward to that. And, guys, remember, you can always catch that um, on our YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, and Twitch. Um, Also, um, you know, make sure you like and subscribe and share with your friends. So uh, help support our channel by uh, liking and subscribing our pages. That helps us as well. Very good. I'm very And 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 don't forget the new web page. I was getting there. Okay, I'm just saying you ran down everything else. I hadn't had a chance to talk about me yet. Hold your horses, brother. Hold your horses. Fine. Fine. Fine.
Five. All right, so uh, what have I been up to lately? Well, I've been doing a little bit. I almost feel like I've been doing a gym. I've been so busy with stuff. You know, I don't know where to begin. But uh, if you caught Wednesday's live stream, it was a studio catch-up, okay? Uh, we talked about everything that's been going on over the last couple of weeks and where we see the future going and things like that. So uh, we now do have we now do we now have a new website. The new website is www.thesitreppodcast.com. You got to put the the in there, T H E, because uh, if you don't, you might come up with some other website. So make sure you put in thesitreppodcast.com. That'll take you to our new website, and that is a one-stop shop, guys and ladies. You will see our front page with all our sit rep uh, podcast podcast episodes on it there's a blog page uh jim and i will have to get everybody access and so they can post on the blog pages um so that's where you're going to see you know announcements and you know thoughts of the day or whatever or if somebody gets a hankering to write a, a small article about a game or a combat event or campaign whatever you'll see it there in the blog pages uh we also welcome guest authors uh so one of the links on the home page is register as a guest if you sign if you go into that link either it has a big thing where you put in your name your email address etc etc you can put a note in there and we'll reach out to you if you would like to submit um, something for the blog page everybody's welcome but you do have to sign up through the guest page please Um, also another important link this helps support everything that we're doing currently because not only did i create a web page but i did create a new merch spot so if you go under the supply room that takes you to our new store. And in that store, you will find mugs, glasses, and shirts and T-shirts and sweatshirts. And I am looking at my brand new SitRep Podcast coffee mug. came yesterday. And the graphic looks really good. So I'm still waiting on my T-shirt and my sweatshirt to come in. I think I have a uh, bar glass coming as well. So I did add a few more full-color items to there. Um, I'm waiting on the shot glasses to drop into the store. Uh, I did send a request, uh, asked that as an option, so I'm waiting to hear back on that. Um, so if you're looking to get some merchandise to support the podcast, please hit that link. Also, another exciting thing is that we ship from the U.S. and the EU. So you guys over on the other side of the pond, you don't have to pay ridiculous amounts of shipping to get something sent to you from the grand old U.S. of A., you can just have it dropped from the EU. I'm not exactly sure where in the EU it ships from, but uh, it can be ordered on that side of the Atlantic as well, which is extremely good news. Also, um, there's some other things in the works. Uh, one of the things I can uh, announce is that we do have a one sponsor. Um, it's our good friend Chris and his son Alex who do modernmini3d.com. And that is a uh, print-on-demand service uh, for moderns, and they have World War II and all kinds of amazing miniatures. Uh, so you'll find a link uh, when I get the sponsor page built. And uh, for new subscribers, they're offering a discount. So if you subscribe to our Facebook, or Facebook, not our Facebook, our YouTube channel, I get a notification that you subscribed. I will send you a discount link if you'd like to uh, order something. Once we get a membership page built, uh, I imagine Chris and Alex will work with us to have a uh, members-only discount as well. So make sure you check out modernmini3d.com. 
uh, the official sponsor of the Sit Rep podcast. Um, so make sure you support those guys. Um, outside of that, I am in works to create a, another kind of studio. Um, that's really all I can say about it right now. Um, but it's going to be a collective of brain trusts, if you will. So, uh, which will be under the sit rep studio. So we'll be talking about that more a collective. With, no, it's a creative studio. Wait. Oh, okay. Creative studio. Jim knows uh, what, I, I thought, what I'm meaning. Jim's probably, you know, he's, he's intelligent. I thought, I thought you were going back to the commie stuff we were talking about no earlier. No commie like, stuff. We don't do commie what stuff What are here. we doing? <laughs> no commie stuff. We so. totally do commie stuff. We have fifty percent commie. You know why? It is wise to know the ways of your enemies. Plus, don't the, underestimate them, and don't uh, you know you have to know yeah. what they're doing, or else it's, it's also the other team that we're playing against <laughs> in half our game. Saying, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you so, go buy gaming pieces and miniatures, we're probably two thirds communists because right? they always yeah. outnumber us. So speaking right? of communists, yeah. um, I am. Completing my uh, Soviet Army box from uh, Battle Group North Ag in 10 millimeter. So um, I completed the British Army starter box. They only got four tanks. Four. Just four. The Soviets only got four? No. The Brits. The The Soviets have 10 in the starter box. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly correct. It's a troop versus a company. But my question is are the chieftains versus a company? Now, Now, to all my UK friends, Please do not take my next question to heart or be offended by it. But are the chieftains really that good? Can they survive 10 versus 4? It depends what the 10 are. First of all, uh, the 10 are T64s? T62? The, the chieftain has a built-in coffee pot, so yes. No, well, no, no, it's a teapot. But, I'm, but I would put coffee in it, and I'm hugely jealous that their vehicles have those. See, well, Bill was all worried about right. So Bill was all worried about whether or not uh, we were going to offend the British about talking about the chieftain. You just called their their teapot a coffee pot, right? Facing off against T sixty fours is is going to be one thing. Calling their coffee pot a teapot or vice versa (laughs) that's that's what's really going to do it. Well, you know, you can lead a Brit to coffee, but you can't make him drink it. Ooh. So yes, would I take four chieftains? T64. When I put, okay, yeah, 60, uh, there's a big difference between a 62 and a 64, okay. big time. Um, yeah, these are probably the earlier marks of the T64, because the game takes place in like 1983, I mm-hmm. think, something mm-hmm. like that. So, no reactive armor. Are there any reactive armor blocks on the T64 set? Not that I see. Yeah, so it's it's, it's got to be the early, like the T64As. So, um, as long as the British are on defense, and I think the British also have, don't they have like some swing fires on like APCs or light, light armored vehicles, things like that. Swing um, fire, so you get weapons. 10 chieftains, and you do have the still brew turned option. Uh, you get four FV-432s, which is like their APC. Yeah. You get 34 <laughs> infantry and two scorpions or scimitar turret options. All right, and those they some of those options include the swing fires, because that's going to be the big equalizer. Okay. Um, that's their that's their version of the toe or whatever. It's probably better. In fact, in terms of armor penetration, it is better than the toe, especially the toes back in those days. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, oh, I mean it's it's going to be an even battle, especially since the Soviets are probably on the attack. Gotcha. Yeah, um, the kind of the scenario it, I kind of see is, um, you know, 
the Brits uh, get a, you know, they get an alert that, you know, Soviet forces have crossed the the border. And, you know, this squadron, aren't they called a stra- squadron or troop? You know, in a, a troop is a, a, a troop is equivalent to a platoon in okay. tanks, British tanks, and a squadron is usually equivalent to a company. Okay. Yeah. So what would be four British tanks? Is that a troop or a, a squadron? Troop. A troop. Okay. It's basically a platoon, so gotcha. it's a troop. Okay. So this troop. So in most, in most Cold War games, or most even East or West, East uh-huh. versus West modern games, this is what we went across when you took on Rasmus in North Korea. <laughs> um, you take whatever platoon or whatever echelon level for the Western side that you're on. Uh-huh. In your case, it was a, a reinforced platoon. And you just click it up one. Oh, so what's above a platoon is a company. And you give the other side a company. If you take a company uh, in Panzer Leader, in Western tanks, you give the Soviet or their allies a battalion. Gotcha. If it's a battalion, you give them a regiment. If it's a regiment, you give them a division or whatever. It's basically a three to one. Gotcha. Um, and whatever echelon level is, you just click it up by one. So this troop versus company that you're describing sounds, you know, right down the middle of the highway. Okay. Yep. So basically they're going to come through a little valley, you know, in an, an out-of-the-way place in, uh, you know, between eastern and western Germany or, you know, and then the Brits are pretty much going to sit on a rise in the forest and pop their guns out and pop them as they come down and go from there, I guess. I don't know. We'll see whatever events, but uh, I'm going to finish those guys up this weekend. The nice thing about the Soviet army at that time, the armor, it's one color. You know, there's no camouflage. There's nothing. It's just this Soviet green. And then it's weather. all green. Yeah. So it's it's going to be a quick, you easy paint. spray it all green and like maybe some dark gray on the tracks. Yep. Some highlighting. Maybe little, little just dry brush on the yeah. corners. Yeah. For just for some kind of color. Yeah. Uh, that ditching log on the back, you know. Yep. And uh, maybe some stowage. Just so you have a few, just so it's not literally like a green plastic army man out of the out of the bag from yeah. you know yeah. Target or whatever. <laughs> little, little green box on track. You know, I'm looking at the picture. It doesn't look like they have those logs on the back. Oh yeah, I don't think so. But I team Yankee 15 millimeter Soviets. I I gave them like big bright like not very battlefield realistic, but uh-huh. the big. Uh, like guards, um, parade ground markings, like the huge, not huge, but like the, the somewhat prominent red stars uh-huh. and, the, and the guards, uh, emblem on the turret facings and on the, the, the searchlight covers. Again, I doubt they would go into combat like that, but God bless. You got to give them some kind of color. Because huh? <laughs> you're right, it's just green, man. <laughs> and this way, at least they have some bright red. And the bright red on the green, you know, makes, yeah. makes it pop a little bit. Yeah. Um, probably not the best battlefield option, but it's, it's fun to paint, by the way. Awesome. So, it's a nice target. Yeah, right? So that'll be uh, me finishing that up. So um, going from there. All right. You know what time it is. It's what everybody waits for every show. It's when the news hits the fan. I still got to get your intro, Marty. That's one thing I have failed yet to do. I was going to say, that's, that's not going to work. We got to work on that one. Right. Take it away, Marty. All right. Well, uh a uh, couple. Uh, we'll start off with a couple of stories from uh, Spectre Miniatures. Um, so uh, on the September twenty first, so a couple weeks ago, essentially or thereabouts, uh, Spectre announced that they are moving. So uh, they are uh, moving into a bigger office, which they said uh, means they'll have uh, space to further expand Spectre Miniatures. You know, uh, as well as. Uh, uh, they hinted at uh, perhaps that means some new releases. 
and they're also talking about uh, creating uh, gameplay videos. Yeah. So that's kind of cool and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I can report that they have, in fact, completed that move. Awesome. And along with, along with completing that move, though, uh, they weren't kidding. They had a plan. If you go to the uh, Spectre Miniatures uh, uh, webpage and you look at new releases, they dropped two new releases. Or th- well, three, technically, I guess, because I think, uh, yeah. So they've got the uh, Agents Crisis Response Squad guys. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of, those are kind of cool looking dudes. Uh, uh, dudes and dudettes, I should say, because they've got uh, female characters in there as well. Uh, so uh, they're they're looking good. Um, they don't actually well. They went on sale on the thirtieth, so they they are for sale now. When 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 I made the note, I'm like, they're not on sale yet. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, time, time has passed since I wrote that. So yeah, they are they are uh, available for sale now. So uh, they're pretty cool looking, uh, like uh, PMC types. Uh, they're all in uh, civilian clothes, but geared up and. Uh, They've got some really nice detail to them on the uh, uh, on the photo on the webpage. So hopefully uh, that translates uh, to when they arrive on your paint table as well. And then they have the uh, what they call the criminal element heavies squad. Mm. So you know these these are like uh, like your super organized criminal bad guys that were like all former. Uh, uh, Combat veterans. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know they they've all got like the matching bad guy uh, uniform, but they're kitted out military style. They've got uh, uh, a plethora of uh, military weapons. And you said criminal criminal heavies. I thought maybe they finally made a Tony Soprano figure. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's in one of their covert op kits. <laughs> it's a limited run. But they've got the compact shotgun, and they've got a LMG and a, a FNAL. I mean, it's it's just it's literally a shotgun blast of of weapons. There's a whole bunch of different stuff, so they're, they're pulling from all sorts of things there. <clears throat> but uh, they're uh, they're intended to be used as uh, you know uh, any any sort of uh, criminal organization. Or as uh, perhaps a mercenary group, uh, or uh, you could uh, you could also use them as like a like a law enforcement or uh, like a spec ops unit for uh, you know either uh, a made up unit for like a made up country or uh, I don't know who's I want to say that it could be for like some somebody's unit somewhere in the world, but I don't know what looking at their uniform and with the mix of weapons and whatnot. I mean, it could be spec ops. Those guys run, you know, all sorts of weird stuff depending on where they go. So, but they are pretty cool looking dudes as well. And then, uh, let's see, we got, so the last one, uh, the last uh, new release is the VGB, the very good boy. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's, uh, has everyone seen the, the video from Boston Dynamics of like the dog robot? Because essentially that's what this is, except it's got a a, a remote weapon station on its back. Mm-hmm. So it it literally it looks like a crow uh, weapon station. Uh, so it, it's kind of cool. So it's a uh, 
I don't know, a drone, a robot. Uh, it's an unmanned ground vehicle. Uh, but uh, it's it's a pretty cool looking uh, uh, little figure there. So you can uh, you can bring some heat with that, and you know, operate it autonomously. Very cool. So uh, I would uh, encourage you to check that out if uh, that's your jam. So good stuff from them. Glad uh, glad to hear Spectre uh, seems to be on the upswing. I mean, a couple years ago it was looking really really rough for them. Uh, you know, they were uh, ha- ha- having some struggles, and uh, I, I'm a fan of their stuff. I really like what they what they put out. So I'm glad to see it looks like uh, you know they're uh, you know they got a new space. They're putting out new stuff. You know, they're they're bringing uh, bringing their A game so to speak. So that pleases me. So hopefully uh, they do well, and we wish them the best of luck. Wow. Now, very cool. from a high note to a low note, those of you that like just as you know know that I I like to play Dust 1947. I know this isn't a huge uh, you know isn't right exactly in our wheelhouse, uh, but you know as uh, as I said during our little hobby portion, I literally have one, two, three, four, five. I have six dudes that are I'm in the midst of painting on my paint desk now. <sighs> However. Uh, September 29th, Pelo Parente announced the war is over. Yeah. What does that mean? It means that uh, Dust has uh, essentially, uh, you know, to uh, uh, not oversimplify it too much, but it has essentially been killed by the coronavirus. Uh, you know, uh, what they said, you know, I'll read you just a blurb of what they said. You know, after an incredible run of uh, incredible 12 years run, Dust Studio has ceased operations in the past couple of years, producing the beautiful miniatures and model kits that you know and love. It's become increasingly difficult and is now impossible for us to continue. There's many factors that led us here, increased costs in shipping, labor, raw material were the most important, increased import taxes between several regions were another. And on top of that, the pandemic, which has greatly disrupted our operations in, in China, where these figures are manufactured. So very sad news, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the game is, uh, I'm going to go with unsupported, you know, because saying, saying that, uh, you know, Dust 1947 is killed or the game is dead is not exactly true. And I say that because it doesn't mean I almost stop playing. And, you know, judging by the response on, uh, uh, the internet and you know uh, social media and whatnot. Uh, there are many players that are like, well, you know, okay, <laughs> we're sorry, we're not going to get new stuff, and I really wanted to get these things, so I'll have to figure out how to how to get my my new uh, you know figures to round out my army or whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're still playing, you know. So there's several uh, several community groups that are. Uh, Regional that are like, hey, we're we're gonna keep rolling. I mean, War Factory, the EU distributor, is at a convention selling stuff this weekend. So you know, not dead, dead, but uh, unsupported. And they're not gonna be manufacturing anything else. Uh, it'll be interesting to see in the future if anyone picks up the IP for this to go forward, because it's not the first time Dust has been dead. So we'll 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 see if that stays, or you know, who knows? A year or two, they may uh, rise like a phoenix uh, from the ashes and be back in business. Uh, you know, we'll have to have to see how that goes. Yeah, but but for now, 
uh, no new stuff from Dust. Kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then uh, I don't know if you saw this on uh, uh, on our uh, on our page, but uh, Chris Long posted uh, a blurb about uh, Front Rank. Yep. So uh, Front Front Rank Miniatures uh, has been acquired by uh, Gripping Beast Miniatures. So uh, Front Rank's not going anywhere. Uh, you know they're not. Uh, they're not dead. That they they're under uh, new management. So, uh, Gripping Beast has, has got it locked, stock, and barrel. Uh, if you go to the Front Rank uh, uh, webpage, which is easy to do, FrontRank.com, uh, the first thing that they have is a, a banner that pops up over the page and says that uh, they're delighted to announce that Gripping Beast uh, uh, has acquired Front Rank uh, ranges and the website. Uh, that uh, uh, allow for the handover to Gripping Beast. Uh, they're not taking any orders right now. Uh, all their outstanding orders. So if you've got something on order with them already, will be dispatched as normal. Uh, uh, they are Gripping Beast is aiming to reopen the uh, the web page on October 14th. So it's going to be down for a couple weeks while they get things sorted out. That's I think that's reasonable and fair. And then uh, Alec and An- Angela wanted to thank all their many loyal customers for choosing Front Rank uh, figurines over the years. And are confident that uh, you will experience the same high standard of service, be able to continue to add to your front rank collection in the years to come. And they wish Gripping Beast every success in the future. So uh, very nice. You gotta you gotta like that. Uh, front rank uh, has uh, several ranges of 28 millimeter uh, medieval 17th century, 18th century, and Napoleonic figures, as well as a 40 millimeter. Uh, uh, American War of Independence line. So if you're into any of that, check them out. They do have nice stuff. Very cool. And then uh, a couple of a uh, couple of blurbs on uh, some conventions. Oh, wait a minute. Before I go to convention, uh, shout out to Jim for a shout out to Rasmus because I almost forgot this, and this is near and dear to my heart. And Rasmus mentioned it on our Discord. So Rasmus, good man. Thank you very much because. Uh, I almost failed to include that, include this, uh, this story this week, because for some reason I had it in my head that we had already talked about it and we probably did talk around it a little bit at some point, but we didn't, we didn't mention it. And I don't know if it was official when we talked about it. So battle space, one of my favorite games, solo modern, ultra modern game, uh, by, uh, Robert Salter over at, uh, table salt designs. <clears throat> Uh, is uh, has partnered with Modifius Entertainment, and they are getting, as, as we alluded to in previous editions, uh, they are getting a a whole uh, deluxe starter kit. So this is going to be pretty cool. Uh, you get the you get four dudes uh, for your uh, for your fire team uh, that you got to run through there. All right. I don't know why my dogs are going crazy. Uh, so you it runs in the family. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Wake them on fire. Not really, Tita. I like my dogs. Uh, you know, so you, uh, you know, you got you got your four man team that has to run around and do its thing. That's that that's the basic core of the the game. Uh, but the uh, the new uh, deluxe edition, you get. Uh, uh, two new enemy factions. So now it includes a criminal organization uh, and Dark Lake PMC, which I'm excited to hear about because Dark Lake PMC 
like, wait a minute, why did you call those enemies? Oh. So they're like evil mercenaries. Uh, and it's got three new uh, pre-made playable forces, so you can play as uh, CIA, SNAP, or SAS. Uh, fans of uh, the original Battle Space says will find that the rules have been expanded, clarifying some of the mechanics, addressing errata, so including some of the errata, which is really all done on uh, uh, Robert's uh, Facebook page for Battle Space right now. And then uh, says something about uh, any concerns players had with the first edition. Uh, they expanded uh, and revised the rules for uh, vehicles, so now they cover a, a broader type of or broader amount of vehicle types, as well as including helicopters and boats. And then uh, one of the one of the really cool things here, and the community, the battle space have done this, but now they're going to codify it in the deluxe edition. Uh, the request for uh, that players be able to create their own characters. So now you can customize your own dudes with stats and specialties and whatever, uh, and they are going to, uh, you know, uh, kind of give you guidelines on how to, how to do that. And then there's a mission generator as well, so it makes it faster to uh, set up, and you know, it gives you your deployment areas and objectives and where you got to exfil and all that jazz. So I'm I'm really excited to see this. Uh, so as soon as this is available for pre-order, I will let you know because uh, I'm gonna. Very so, cool. cool stuff. Yeah. Very cool. And then uh, just a, a couple of blurbs on uh, on the uh, convention news, uh, uh, particularly here in in the the U.S. Uh, Origins Game Fair is this weekend. It is going on as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, today or uh, tomorrow's the last day. But uh, that's an annual tabletop convention uh, at Teldy here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, So they've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And, I mean, this is the gamut. This isn't just like a tabletop board game. This is is everything. You know, uh, so you can go uh, everything from tabletop to video games and whatnot. Uh, Pretty sure that they've got cosplay and LARPing there as well. So. Lots of lots of stuff going on there, so check them out. Oregon uh, www.originsgamefair.com if you're interested in seeing what's going on. If you're in the area and want to make it out there, you know, say hi to our friends Greg and Alicia because uh, uh, one, they're Dust USA, uh, so probably having a bad time there. But Greg is very involved, I know, uh, through Gamma with uh, Origin. Right. Yep. Very good. Uh, uh, I got two more quick hits for you. Go ahead. Uh, Historicon 2021, we've talked about. Uh, I just wanted to let people know that registration is now open. So if you you want to go, head on over to the HMGS uh, webpage. Uh, it's H uh, slash HCon Home, uh, and you can uh, there's a registration link there, so you can go ahead and register. And then uh, Gen Con was last weekend, so uh, while it may be over, turns out uh, I didn't realize this. Uh, Gen Con has a uh, a Twitch channel, and they stream on it regularly. I mean, if you go to uh, GenCon.com uh, slash GenCon TV slash Twitch streaming schedule, they've got stuff scheduled like three times a week for the entire month of October going on. Nice. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what's in all of it because uh, uh, it does it. It's just got like a link to it. It doesn't have a, a real big description. So depending on what they've called their link, 
you may or may not be able to figure out what it is. Uh, but, uh, you know, take a look, see what they got. If that's, uh, if that's your jam, there may be some cool stuff in there. Very cool. And that, sir, is my news. Excellent. Nice work as always. Thank you. Thank you very Fantastic. much. So you kind of pretty much already covered the one tar, uh, topic of uh, the life and birth and death of games. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. To be honest with you, I kind of knew the dust thing was going to be happening um, for a while. Um, so it didn't a hundred percent surprise me. Um, it, yeah. And you know, anyone that kind of, anyone that followed them closely could kind of see the writing on the wall that that's been a struggle for yeah. probably a year and a half yeah. e- easy. And, and they were having some challenges before the Rona hit because of their uh, factory move in right. China. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there was, you know, there was dollar amounts that they had to make to be, you know, to, so basically, without giving away too much, there there's a person who who actually owns dust, or a large majority of dust that is not Paulo, um, right, or Oliver, you know. So that person like kind of you know runs the factory and the manufacturing side of it. Um, there had to be a certain dollar amount to be made to, to maintain um, the costs and to show you know there was a value of continuing marketing this uh, dust miniatures are, are extremely high quality, whether you get the kit, the primed or the, the, the premier ones, right? They're very high quality. Um, and the, and the group was growing for quite a while and still, you know, and it's amazing to see what is out there. But what I've kind of noticed over the last few months is I've seen a lot of people selling their stuff. A lot of people selling their stuff. And this is before the announcement. So I don't know if it was going. You know, every game has an up and down. It has valleys and troughs, right? Or uh, troughs and right. peaks. Um, so, but you know, gamers are kind of fickle in some aspects. Um, but it, it's sad to see it because it is a good game. Uh, it's easily to it's easy to get into because you could literally go pick up one of those starter army boxes. That's how I got you and Chris into it. You know, we I introduced you. Yep. To Greg and Alicia at Adepticon, and you know we we got you into it, and you know it's fun. It's it's a, it's a good game, and my hope is is that somebody else picks it up and continues with it. You know, I don't know if Paolo is going to allow them. To, you know, he, that's kind of like his baby. You know, um, he well, created right. the art. He created. You know, he, yeah, that is all his. Yeah. So, but his you never know. If the and right then Oliver designed all the rules, yeah, and so I mean, if the right company comes along and offers the right amount of money, you know, I'm not saying it's all about money, but you know, if the right pieces fall into place, I could see another company picking it up. Um, well, and there, so on a Facebook post, uh-huh. uh, it was either yesterday or the day before, um, somebody asked, you know, on uh, on the Paulo Parente big dust page because there's yeah. there's there's dozens of, of dust pages, but on the uh, on Paulo's official one, someone asked, "Hey, what are the odds somebody's going to buy this IP? Right? You know, can to to keep it alive?" Now Paulo didn't answer anything, but a couple of other people indicated that maybe there was some interest in that going on, but you know, no details. Right. So, hmm, we, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, the the problem with that is. Okay, so I buy the IP. Uh-huh. I still have all the same problems that exist now. 
turns out trying to manufacture this stuff in China and then ship it over here, still mm-hmm. a huge challenge. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, but I mean, does that mean that, you know, if there was a, let's say there was a U.S. based buyer, could they move the manufacturing to, to the U.S. and ship from here? If there was a, uh, an EU based buyer or UK buyer, you know, could they do it there? Right. I don't know, but that, that'd be pretty cool. Well, um, I mean, those are all good thoughts, but to be honest with you, if you moved the plastics manufacturing to the U.S., unfortunately, the, the, it would, the cost would skyrocket. I mean, labor oh, yeah, and cost absolutely. here in the U.S. is not cheap, right? That's, oh, yeah, that's why everybody 100%. goes to China because it, it costs a lot. Le- it actually costs less to produce a product in China and ship it than it does to produce it in this country, right? And, and that's the sad fact. Um, yeah, well, but now the sad fact is you can you maybe can get it produced in in China, yep. But you, now you got to get it shipped, right? And that's that's and shipping that's is so backlogged right now, and everything. I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, a lot of it is pandemic related. <clears throat> but I can tell you from past gaming uh, industry experience, there was um, a couple games that I thought were totally dead in the water and were never going to be resurrected. One of them is Wild West Exodus. Uh, Wild West Exodus used, oh, used to be made here in the U.S. Um, it was um, part of Battle Foam. You know, um, so the guys from Battle Foam created that and did a Kickstarter. And, and it had a life for a few years, and then it died out. But now it's picked up by, is it War Cradle Studios, I think it is? Uh, owns uh, it now? Yeah, they just, they just had a new release like this week. Yeah, a new starter set coming out. So yeah. new pl- two-player starter set. So that's one. Um the uh, dystopian wars fleet battle. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but uh, that used to be owned uh, by a UK company that made uh, the Halo game, um, and they closed down. And um, it's not War Cradle Studios; it's somebody else in the UK bought them, and it has brought it back to life. Um, Gaz's old game, uh, Mythos, uh, was picked up by a company as well. Uh, so I mean, there's and there's life. Um, you know, it depending on the if the pieces fall into place. So sure, there's enough following for dust that I could see somebody picking it up if the price is right. Right, the pieces have to line up. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So you know, which leads me to we talked about you know Robert Salter's game Battle Space getting uh, yeah. picked up by Modifius. Uh, which uh-huh. is a big game publisher, and uh, they're going to create a two-player starter set. And we talked to Robert, and he said his, when they get close to the release date, he'll come on the podcast and he'll talk about it. Um, yep. Obviously, we have to wait until you know get close to release, which is good. So it's nice to see a very independent guy get noticed by a, manu- uh, a bigger publisher and come to an agreement to have that publisher support his game and create you know better, so, more professional yeah, so- products. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, Robert is kind of a, a you know, the the dream, you know, come true in the, this world. Yep. You know, a year and a half ago, you know, March of, March of twenty, mm-hmm. he dropped it. He dropped this on uh, uh, Game Vault. Yeah, you know, it was P- PDF only, <laughs> and then it was just, you know, all the support was off of his uh, Facebook page. Right, and, and uh, you know, so you look at you know, about a year and a half has passed, and now. He's got, uh, you know, a, a whole deluxe, uh, you know, box set coming out. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, conversing with him uh, last week a little bit, and we were talking about, 
you know, while the social media community for this is uh, fairly small, uh-huh. it is very active and engaged. I mean, these yeah. guys come up with community content. There's there's whole there's yeah. a, a fan base expansion that's already out there that you yep. can get off of uh, the file section of the Battlespace webpage. I and mean, these dudes are in, the guys that are into it are into it. Yep. So that's uh that's, that's pretty exciting for him, and yeah. you know now that it's uh, going to be a uh, an actual box set, yeah. you know I hope that means that uh, it will be more widely available and people will be more interested, and in that it is hugely successful. Yeah, well, I, like I mean, because you think about it, Modifius goes to all the big gaming conventions, so you know yeah. he'll get exposure at Gen Con and Adept. Con, I think they're at. I don't remember if Modifius is at Adepticon, but all the big you know, Origins, Salute, you know, all the big ones. So yeah. you know, they'll definitely be there. Um, very cool. So you know, that's the facts of life. We have games come, we have games go. Jim, yeah. is there any big game that kind of you were sad or disappointed that ended in your gaming career? Not really, no. because the games that have died, I just keep playing. There you and go. Everyone who was buying the game would still keep playing. We're talking about when games die or are no longer supported. Nothing meaningful, because I don't count Hill of Death, um, nothing meaningful has been uh, promoted or published for Pains Leader since 1977. Yeah. Um, guess what we still play? Guess what we're playing tomorrow? Right. I take that back. Uh, Toshash Miniatures came out with something in 2007. Um. But other than that, it's been pace. And Brian Train came out with Desert Leader in 2000. But yeah, that game has been basically, again, air quotes, dead since uh, the late 70s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are still coming out with their own content. Imaginative Strategist still publishes stuff. People still make their own counters, um, their own maps, not just me. Go over to Board Game Geek, you'll see people do this stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, again, and it's not even the only one. Uh, how long has Battlefleet Gothic? I know I'm bringing up something 40k related, but <laughs> forgive me. Um, but that's just a, a, an example. You know, Battlefleet yeah. Gothic has been pretty much out of commission for what 25, 30 years, yeah. and the community is still, you know, hugely supportive of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is kind of sad that you know, when a, when a game that you like and follow is, you know, has to shutter its doors, but at the same time, you know keep it alive on your own, you know, in your own gaming space, your own dining room table, your own conventions. And, uh, yeah, there you go. It, yeah, it, for sure. I mean, it's not like I got rid of my stuff, so I'm, I'm excited. Although that, that does mean that they'll get second mention on the dead, uh, war gamer society podcast, I think. <laughs> Cause w- literally it was, it, they, they featured it on that podcast and Greg was interviewed for it. Yeah. So, well, that might be coming up again. Who knows? Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, a game is never really dead as long as there's a dedicated group of people to continue on playing it or create more, you know, fan base material for it, you know, and stuff like that. Because think about it. World War Two has been over for, what, 80 years almost. Right. And um, nothing new many um, tools or tracks or weapons has been manufactured World War II since World War II, but people still play it. So you can go out and get your, uh, it's the same Sherman, it's the same Panzers, it's the same Wehrmacht, you know, et cetera, but people still play it to this day. So the same point is to for like Dust 1947. The weapons are all the same. You know, you can play with what you got, and then it's just up to you to create scenarios, 
right? They've pretty much hashed out quite a bit of stuff. And you can always kit bash, right? If you wanted well, it's gonna, a German yeah, Tiger tank, you know, if they for the access, if you wanted to dustify a Tiger tank, you could do that. Um, you know, with 3D printing and everything, you know people are going to be doing that kind of stuff if it's not already done. And yeah, there's a there's a whole uh, social media group uh, dedicated to it. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, while the game will not be made anymore, it's not dead. It's up to the, the the players, the fans, to continue the legacy of that game. So that's a good thing. I mean, you know, if you think about it that way, modern times you have home manufacturing options, laser cutters, 3D printers, you know, etc. So it just makes it a little bit easier. All right. Let's go ahead and switch to our main topic for today. And today's topic is, can you enjoy a game where you are outnumbered and hopelessly surrounded and more than likely not to win? Can you enjoy that? Why why are you bringing this topic up, Bill? Well, the reason being is last night I watched the Alamo, the 2004 edition version uh, with Billy Bob Thornton and uh, Dennis Quaid and cast of characters and it was actually very good i i enjoyed it the second time around i've I've watched it twice now and i i really enjoyed it last night and i'll be honest to say that i got a little bit emotional at the end when davy crockett when you thought him and his last remaining four or five kentuckians tennesseans oh god i can't believe i said kentuckians tennesseans um we're surrounded by the mexicans and uh we thought they were dead and then at the very end you see uh santa Ana. Um, you know, have Crockett on his knees with his arms behind his back and telling him, you know, if you do this, this. And Crockett comes up with this wisecrack about, you know, if you and your uh, general surrender now, I'll try and be easy on you. And, you know, and then as Santa Ana gets the order for his little troop to bayonet Crockett to death, Crockett goes, looks at him, goes, I'm just letting you know now I'm a screamer, <laughs> you know. And uh, he gave it a humanity. And I, like I told the guys before the show, I almost felt that Billy Bob gave more of humanity or a human touch to uh, Davy Crockett than uh, John Wayne's version of uh, Davy Crockett. <sighs> that wouldn't re- that wouldn't be really hard to do, though, would it? <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. But I mean, I mean, did John Wayne ever really play a character beyond John Wayne? He, 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 John Wayne is John. The difference, Wayne, no matter what he plays, right? The difference between like like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's an actor and a movie star. Yeah. I mean, there there's some arguments. There's a few John Wayne movies where he's not typical John Wayne. You know, Red River comes to mind. Um, Genghis Khan. That, Genghis that Khan was terrible. Why, why are you bringing yeah. up that movie? Why, why, Gene? Quiet. Why? <laughs> Quiet Man. Quiet Man's a good one. Uh, the Searchers. You know, he should have won the Academy Award for The Searchers. Um, he should have. That's the one he should have won it for more than True Grit. So... But I actually agree about the 2004 um, Alamo movie. I think it's probably the most historically accurate movie that's been made about the Alamo, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, they actually got the commander right for a change, um, Lieutenant Colonel Travis. Um, they actually gave him a, a decent role in the movie. Most other movies focus all on Bowie and uh, and Crockett, which isn't right, um, at least not exclusively. Right. And uh, they give a, they do a much better job at showing um, like the broader context of what was going on at the Alamo. So you see a lot more Sam Houston. The the movie spoilers ends with the Battle of San Jacinto. Yeah. So 
yeah, it does a lot better job as far as why they were there in that stupid broken down church, what the hell that battle was all about, why they didn't want to leave. You know, they had plenty of chances. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, Santa Ana's, you know, 4,500 men snuck up on them in the night. I mean, it took them like three weeks to get there. So everyone saw them coming and why they didn't leave and, you know, why they made that stand and so on and so forth. Yeah. And you can only really get that by the broader campaign context, so to speak. Yep, exactly. So there are uh, two major versions of the movie out there. John Wayne, you know, and to be honest with you, John Wayne's version, that was his passion. Believe it or not, that was a movie he wanted to make so badly that he couldn't get studios to commit to it. So he put it on, that's, you know, he created Bat Jack Productions, um, and he financed a lot of that movie himself, you know, that because he believed in that movie so badly that he wanted it made. So it was a very big, passionate project for him. It's your typical 50s, 60s movie, you know, the big hero, blah, blah, blah. It's still an enjoyable movie. I do like it. It's a little long. Uh, it's longer than in the, the 2004 version. The 2004 version is 134 minutes. I can't remember how long uh, John Wayne's version is, but it's longer. But uh, they both have their points. But the, the 2004, it really shows the fort, you know, the uh, the um, the mission, um, and the weaknesses and how they did this and how they dressed. And they did a really great job of portraying Jim Bowie and what it was like for him. And, um, you know, and it's just, it, it, they did a very historically, in my opinion, uh, a better historical viewpoint. So, all right. So the question I put out there, can you have fun playing a game if you're playing the side of being surrounded, outnumbered, and more than likely probably not going to win? Can you enjoy a game like that? I, if you all know me, I enjoy those kind of games. Rourke's Drift, the Alamo. You know, I, I have yet to play my little bighorn game. I do have it. I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. But I, I am drawn to those Thir last stand 13 days to 13 hours. Yep, there you go. So, you know, I, I, I'm really drawn to uh, events in history or hypothetical battles where you have a highly outnumbered, you know, the true human spirit, the true dedication to a belief or an idea or just to the guy to your left and to your right, right? That is what really draws me to those uh, type of games. So we've all kind of played different games where, you you, you know, you may be, on the outnumbered, outmatched side, do, do you feel like, oh, man, how come I got that side? Or do you like, okay, let me try this or let me do this, you know? Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I've only got one comment about this whole thing, uh -huh. about your question. Uh -huh. Nuts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? And that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know, uh, I think especially uh, in the context of uh, if you are uh, replaying a, a historical battle, uh -huh. uh, I I find those very uh, uh, entertaining and, and challenging because, you know, y you get the opportunity to be the commander that was in that situation. You're like, OK, I know what that guy did historically. Can, can I do better? Right. You know, you know, can I? Uh, you know, have have a better outcome. I may not win the game, but you know, I'm going to try something different because I see, uh, you know, a, a flaw in that guy's tactics or whatever. And so I'm not going to do exactly what he did. I'm going to do something different and see if I got a better outcome. Yep. 
Yeah. You know, even when I lose in those situations, like I did against Rasmus a couple weeks back when I played the uh, South Korean tanks versus the uh, North Korean horde, um, you know, right afterwards, Jim and I were talking about it, and after action report was, you know, I should have done this. You know, if I were to play this again, I would do this and see how the outcome. You know, a good gamer is a student, right? It's not just somebody who wants to throw stuff on a table, roll some dice, and kick the hell out of somebody or have two armies just mash into each other, you know, and roll a big pot of dice and see who comes out the winner. It's about the planning, the forethought, the strategy, the tactics. Do you learn from your mistakes? Um, do you compare it to what would have happened in real life or could have if, you know, in a theoretical scenario? Um, because I, I believe it or not, I believe me, I like being the underdog, right? I, I, it's not much fun for me to be the big superior army that can just sweep through and just wipe out stuff. It, you know, that's not much of a challenge. It's not... It's not that much fun. So um, I I like being on the other side. Now, you know, obviously I don't want to be, you know, 10, you know, Polish cavalry going against the, the German Blitzkrieg because that's just a lot no fun. You know you're going to get overwhelmed. Um, but, you know, it's – it's, but even in those scenarios, depending on the th- – I mean, Jim, jump in on this. You know, take that example, you know, where the – the Polish army literally had their mounted cavalry staving off the British blitzkrieg, you know? Um, how could you have done British? The, no, Polish. What'd I say? No, you said the, the British, fending off the British blitzkrieg. Oh, did I say British? I apologize. Germans. Um, so, you know, can you modify or do delaying actions, you know, and play those kind of games. So, um, I don't know, Jim, what do you think? Oh, that's literally my bread and butter Yeah, is, um, those kind of scenarios. So yeah, there's lots to unpack here. Super quick. Do, can I enjoy games like that where I'm definitely going to lose? Number one, I would say yes. As long as I know that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I sit down at the table and they say, look, this is a historical event or whatever, you're playing the French at Dien Ben Phu, you're basically done before the game starts. Um, the point of the, we always talk about narrative and gaming. The point of the narrative, the point of the story of this game is to eke out as much courage and tragedy and, you know, humanity or whatever else you can off this table and, you know, just see how long you can last. If I know that up front, uh-huh. um, then yeah, certainly. If I'm going to sit down and play a game with you and like by turn three, I'm like, man, this scenario is screwed, man. You know, if you find out about it afterwards or halfway through the game, I've been in games like that where I'm like, this, I never had a chance. And it's not just, oh, my dice are bad or, oh, I made some wrong moves. But I mean, you guys know me. I design scenarios. I design, you know, literally now for a living, partially. Uh, I design scenarios. I, I design war games. I can tell if a game is screwed before it starts you know easily um that's a little annoying um but if 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 it's clear to the player uh, up front um then certainly you know then 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 it's great as far as how you handle this in scenario design and like this goes to what marty was talking about before you are the commander in the historical situation could i have done better that's literally how we design all of our panzer leader scenarios 
that are based on historical events. Uh-huh. I research it as closely as is reasonably possible. I mean, I don't spend years on a single on a single scenario, but as close as is reasonable for a game, you know, um, as as deeply as is reasonably possible, I I convert what was there into gaming language. I put it into Panzer Leader or whatever system I'm using. Um, and then assuming that I trust the game system, so this is going to be a you know, a, a true scale kind of a game and then, you know, play that game. Now that the historical outcome is going to be the, the win line, so to speak. Yeah. So again, a historical war game, you run across this stuff all the time. The Americans and the American revolution, you're going to lose uh, the Vietnamese in, uh, in a Vietnam war battle. You're going to lose. Um, the Russians in 41 and Barbarossa, you're going to lose. The Polish in 39, you're going to lose. Um, the battle, and like, this is an old catchphrase, so uh, forgive me if I'm being rep- uh, repetitious, but the scenario has got to give the ability to, okay, you've lost the battle, but can you win the game? And again, if you go by what happened historically and you use that as your draw line, okay, if the battle comes out exactly as it did historically, the game's a draw. Um, great. Then you're going to have a great game because now all the air quotes losing side or the inferior side has to do is do just a little bit better than they did historically. Mm -hmm. And if the Egyptians are fighting the Israelis in 1967 and they went in there with a hundred tanks and they all got destroyed in 20 minutes, then if you go in there with a hundred tanks and you last 21 minutes, you win. Or at the end of 20 minutes, you have two tanks left. You win. Um, obviously you've lost the battle, but you've done better than the other side does. And anyone who's played Panzer Leader, Arab Israeli Wars, anyone who's played any of these games with me, I know I keep referring to those two games, but the same could be said for Valor and Victory. We did Dien Ben Fu exhaustively with Piotr in Valor and Victory. So it's not just Panzer Leader, it's pretty much any of these, uh, any of these more historically accurate games is, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, he played the French uh, in Dien Ben Phu, and I always overran him, but it always took me too long. It always took me too many casualties. It mm-hmm. always, you know. And so I think he wound up in that series like six to five, uh, as, or a six out of five, a five out of six as the winner. Even though, of course, his French got overrun like every single time. Um, conversely, we also commemorated in 2019 the 80th anniversary of the invasion of Poland. Yep. And very often I played the Poles, and very often he played the Germans, and or vice versa. You know, the Germans are going to win that game all the time. Um, it's a bit of a historical myth. Polish cavalry never really fought German tanks. That's a, something that happened. There is a kernel of truth to that. Um, however, it is widely reported. So, I mean, that that story is out there, and it's one of those things that has become fact after the fact. Um, but there were definitely still cavalry units in the Polish army. There were cavalry units in almost all armies and throughout most of World War II. When I say cavalry, I don't mean like armored cavalry. I mean actually horse, giddy up boy, you know, cavalry. Yeah. Um, the Soviets had like half a million cavalry in their army as late as 1944. The Germans had an SS cavalry division. So it's not just the Poles. Um, the Poles did have cavalry uh, in that campaign, and they did – Accidentally, they came out of a tree line, and they were—they uh, came out of a tree line, 
the exact uh, circumstances of the event. They came out of a tree line, and it was a German armored car formation, like those little SDK and C-222s. Mm-hmm. And they had just run into a line of Polish infantry with anti-tank rifles. So they were actually hung up and pinned down. And what the cavalry did was they close assaulted this stalled and shot up column of German light armor. With uh, And, of course, they didn't use their lances. Um, but they got close with their rifles, and they did basically a close assault. They saved, they, they saved Private Ryan, uh, these, these German armored cars. Molotov cocktails, grenades, and stuff like that. And I think they actually won. Um, but that's where the that's where that myth comes from, and I bring it up because it shows that the uh, that the Poles can win um, in 1939, uh, and it did happen a couple times. Yeah. The French won some really big battles um, against the Germans in 1940. The first big true tank battle of World War II, the French absolutely stomped the Germans. On day one, I'm talking about the Battle of Hanut, uh, twelve. I think it's twelve and thirteenth May, nineteen forty. At least on day one. Day two, the Germans brought in some Stukas, and that was the end of that. Hmm. Um, I know that. It's it's yeah. It's the first big tank battle in history, really. Um, two British. Uh, I'm sorry, two French uh, armored cavalry divisions uh, ran into. Um, oh God, I'm going to totally. This up. I'm not even going to say what German. I think it's Fifth Panzer, but correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. Um, at a town in Belgium, it's like the second day of that invasion, second or third day of that invasion out to the west. Um, and then uh, Univille is another one. That's much later in the campaign. Or Univille, my French is terrible. Uh, that's where Guderian goes up against uh, De Gaulle and some stuff like that. And there's a bit of a battle going on there. Um, but of course, for every battle the French win, they lose 20, and hence the campaign comes out the way it does. Um, but again, if you set up your scenarios ahead of time and you say, okay, look, this is, uh, this is how the battle turned out historically. So if the losers, air quotes, you know, the Egyptians in 67, the Syrians in 73, the Soviets in 41, the French in 40, the French in Dien Bien Phu, the, the 7th Cavalry at Little Bighorn or whatever, Whatever side is going to get slaughtered, um, as long as the scenario is set up in such a way where if you can do a little bit better, now it's a challenge. And this is what goes back to what Marty was talking about. Um, now it's a challenge. You know, can I just do a little bit better? Yeah, I might get wiped out on turn 11, but historically they only last until, until turn 10. Um, so, you know, maybe I can still win the game. And there is where you get that. Um, you know, that great, uh, you know, can you change history or can you even just do a little bit better than the historical commander? And that I think is a lot of fun. But I think that if you, you know, it's just set up a game as a straight up, you know, uh, as a heads up match. And then by the middle of turn four, you realize that, man, I never had a chance at this game. That can be frustrating. because hobby time is limited. Um, you spent a Sunday playing this game with this guy and then you realize that I'm just really, you know, a punching bag for his force, and you know, this this gets old really quick. So I think if it's handled correctly, I definitely think that you can uh, have a good time on the losing side. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like uh, you know, playing with uh, uh, some of the historical scenarios, you know, you know that you're the underdog, uh, but you know, could you make it a delaying action where you actually can delay? Uh, the aggressor long enough that you get reinforcements. You know, I, those are those are really cool games because you're like, all right, I I played you know eight or nine turns all defense, taking my lumps, 
but guess what? My reinforcements just arrived, and now we're we going to duke it out for real. I mean, I, I love that scenario. That's where you have, like, that movie, uh, The Outpost, um, where those guys exactly, yeah. and got picked down. And they're like, look, that B-1 bomber is showing up eventually. <laughs> and yeah. once it does, just sit back and enjoy the fireworks. Um, but the trick is you have to last that long, and that's that's not easy. Right, yeah. You know, and that's why I say, you know, the, the, you know the, those are very challenging games and, uh, you know, are, are kind of in, in the wheelhouse of what I find to be uh, entertaining and fun to play. You know, I, I know I'm going to take a beat down. I mean, that's the scenario. Let's face it. In warfare, if you were in a fair fight, uh, you did it wrong. You know, the, the, the whole the whole point is to be able to overwhelm your enemy. Now. Uh, you know, there are folks that would rather be on the side that's already set up to be the overwhelming force. But, you know, either way, you still get the, you know, you get to play the game and maybe, maybe you can change the outcome. Be like, yeah, even though, you know, you, you thought you're set up. It, you know, it's fun to play. It's fun to play the winning side, the Israelis in 67. I can't wait to play the Israelis in 67 or the Germans in 41 until you look at the victory conditions and you're like, okay, the Israelis wiped out. This brigade, that battalion, this division, they advanced 40 miles. They didn't take any casualties. But, now you have to do better than that. And you look at yeah. the victory conditions and you're like, there's no way I can win this game. Um, this has happened to a lot of players that, uh, with me where they sit down, they play Arab Israeli Wars. They want to play Arab Israeli Wars. They say, I'm going to play the Israelis. I'm like, okay, you know, you're always on the attack, right? That's bad. Because yeah. the attacking is definitely the harder player, to, the harder side to play. You're always on the offensive. And this isn't just about, you know, any kind of a moral judgment or who's starting these wars or whatever. It's just strictly in game terms. When you're on the attack, man, you have to coordinate, especially in a good game, so many different arms of the service or whatever to get it all. And it has to be at the right place at the right time and all has to come together. And if you're a new player to a game and then you're up against these Mount Everest steep, you know, victory conditions, it's it's hard. Yeah, and At the same time, you know, it's gratifying if you make it. But when you have to do better than the IDF did in '67, when you have to do better than you know Panzer Group of Guderian in 1941, holy shit! These are the biggest victories in the history of warfare, and you have to do better than them in order to win. It, it's like, can I just play the Russians next time? Yeah, it's you a know, pretty high bar to, to, <laughs> yeah. to cross. You, you lose uh, when you're playing the big dopey doughy squishy side it's a very forgiving game i lose half my army on turn one that's cool i got half left and i can still win because all i have to have i have to have one counter left at the end of the game and i, I still win you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> whereas so when I, you're playing the israelis and you lose one tank platoon of like m48 you're like oh god what i what <laughs> i find uh man. you know what i what i find kind of frustrating though is and it kind of goes to a point that you made earlier about a game that's supposed to be balanced uh you know, and it's it's set up where you know uh, each player brings a list of X many points. You know, bring a bring a hundred points of dudes. I am not good at list building. I am here to tell you, <laughs> I, you know, I'm the rule of cool. I'm like, I want to see this guy, and he looks good, and I like these things. But that doesn't mean that they're the best to actually play that particular game with. As well as, you know, until we get to the table, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know what my opponent is bringing. You know, so, you know, I may be set up as the best ground force ever. And it turns out this guy brings, uh, you know, all, uh, you know, mechanized or aerial attack. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get slaughtered. <laughs> this is not going to be ways, good. 
in, in some ways, list building is the uh, antithesis of historical gaming. I know that's a, a blasphemous thing to say. List building is created yeah. so that people can, especially in miniature gaming, can go out, buy the toys they like, paint them up, and put them on the table and be able to enjoy them. So I totally get it. But um, you'll never see list building in any of my games. The list well, building is what was there on the day. I was going to say, historically, you know, we, we are given the list. We know what the yeah. starting conditions are, per se. You know, we, we can take a snapshot in time and say, okay, on this date, in this location, there were these units. This was who's there and who had what, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, some of the games I play, it's you know, you bring your list, they bring their list, and oh, I, I, yeah. I have, I have definitely screwed the pooch on this one. I'm gonna get even, even if the actual point totals are the same, yeah. People have been trying to come up with a point list for Panzer Blitz since 1975. It's now the year 2021. They're still trying and they're still failing. Um, it's impossible to do it because the game is how much should a Panther platoon be worth? You know, a, a Mark V Panther, uh, Panther platoon. Well, if you're on defense and you're on high ground and you've got a, an ocean of T-34s coming at you, that Panther is worth a thousand points. It's going to kill every time it picks up the dice. It's going to kill another platoon of Panthers. Um, if you're on attack and you have to invade a town full of Soviet guards rifles, that tiger, that, that Panther is one big death trap. You know, you're, you're not going to make it past your, your, your logger point. Um, it's never, it's, it should be worth negative points because it's a liability. It, yeah. Uh, it, it depends on the situation. You can't just look at a, at a unit in a list and say, Oh, this is worth 50 points. This is worth 82 points. And then they come out with these extremely, uh, specific point costs. Like this is, you know, 91.3 points. And I'm like, how the hell did you get at that? What that new man. used to figure that out. Yeah. It's common Which, core. I mean, <laughs> list point, list building where like, okay, both sides have a thousand points. That works for like meeting engagements or something like that. But if one side's on attack or one side's on defense, there goes your list points, you know, your list game right out the window. Um, now games like battle group do address this. So, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, ignorant of that at all. Like if you're on defense, um, like defense is an actual item you can buy in your list. It's like, oh, you're on defense. Okay. That costs you 300 points. Now you have a 700 point list to take up against the other guy's 1000 point list. I'm being a little loose with the math here, but I'm just making right. a point. Um, you know, there are certain battlefield conditions that you can buy and add them to your list that are terrain, you know, whether or not you're on tank or defense, minefields, off board, ADH shots, stuff like that. And these are all the things that sort of help you, uh, help you with defense. Yeah. And, um, invisible. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or hidden uh, like, uh, anti-tank guns or whatever, like some kind of like hidden hidden deployment or something like that. Um, certainly. Um, and again, that's where you know attack and defense comes in. But if you just set up like a, a heads up, which is fine, like for a convention or a tournament, thousand points versus a thousand points, and you just meet in the middle of the field, you know, Braveheart style. I mean, go for it. It's fun. Uh, it's not really the kind of game I enjoy. Um, my type of game is much more like what Bill's talking about. I mean, one side may not be pretty much doomed to death at the start. It may not be that extreme. Some of my games definitely are, but usually it's, yeah, war is never fair. And one side was walking in with a one hell of a stack deck. The good news, the victory conditions account for that and stack the victory conditions against, uh, against the player. So the, the analogy I always use is like like picture like 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 a scale or a teeter totter or whatever. Some people think that asymmetrical victory conditions are just make, okay, 
there's a thousand points on this side. So you got 10 units, each worth a hundred points. And on this side of the lever, you have a thousand units. They're each worth one point. That's not really asymmetrical victory. No, that's, yeah, no, yeah. They both have a thousand points. Right. It's one side has like say Vietnam. Okay. Your American side is going to have 20 units worth 50 points a piece. That's a thousand points. The Viet Cong, their units are only worth one point a piece and you only have 300 of them. So it's 300 versus a thousand. The problem is that that the, the fulcrum on which that lever uh, pivots is much more toward the Viacom side, so that they have all the leverage. They're going to hit you first. They can, okay, if they get wiped out. Um, they can uh, hide behind civilians. They can hide behind buildings. Half of them are hidden. Half, you know, they don't have to evacuate yeah. casualties. They, have they all can infill and exfill via uh, hidden tunnels. You know, so they can't they, be they yeah. They don't have to. They don't have to hold any kind of ground, right. whereas the other side has to hold ground. And the NBA player or the Vietcom player knows what ground that is, so you totally know where the enemy's going. Um, and they're well, never. doesn't play by the rules. Totally, yeah. So yeah, when it comes to stuff like that, yeah, but the, that is up to the scenario designer or the game designer, and that can get tricky. Um, but if it's like I, I've already said this, so I won't repeat myself. But if it's handled correctly, absolutely. Um, the problem comes in when it's not handled correctly, and that's where you have hurt feelings. And I just wasted my whole weekend playing this cockeyed game with you, and whatever. Um, yeah, and that's what I'm often very, t- you know, uh, the halfway. I mean, Bill probably remembers halfway through his game with Rasmus uh, uh, two weeks ago. I was like, oh my god, I'm already apologizing because <laughs> Rasmus is getting wiped out. Rasmus is getting wiped out. Rasmus, I'm so sorry. Turn to Bill. I'm so sorry. You're getting wiped out, Bill. I'm so sorry. You're getting wiped. <laughs> And it came down to three points at the end, 28 to 25. So I was, that was a huge sigh of relief at the end of that game. I was like, oh, my God, this game came out pretty balanced. Um, there were some quick deployment issues at the beginning, and then Rasmus got very lucky at the end that he wound up scraping by with three-point victory. So it's like this game is damn near perfect, um, or at least the scenario is. So awesome. But cool. see, you know, At but- first, I was terrified. Yeah, I was gonna say, but at the beginning of that game, you're like, oh, it's broken. Oh, this is all jacked yep. up. Uh, th- but th- th- this is why two, we played the I game. I thought the same thing on the other side. I was like, oh my, because then like the, the tide turned so bad. Um, like on turn two, I was like, oh god, this game really is screwed up. But it screwed up the opposite. So now I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here <laughs> as the scenario designer. On turn one, I thought this game was completely bonkers towards the South Koreans. On turn two, I'm like, South Koreans are a speed bump to these North Koreans. And it wasn't until like we got done on like turn six and we actually counted up the points. Like, oh, we came within three points. Okay. And we kind of know where those three points went, you know, between initial deployments and some lucky die rolling on turn on the last turn of the game. All right. All right. But at first, uh, yeah. Because again, that's where hurt feelings come in and that's where people feel like they've wasted their time. And as a scenario designer, that's what I'm, just me personally, that's what I'm desperate to avoid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't want to turn somebody up. So even in a, in a game like uh, like that, you don't want to turn somebody off early in the game and then have them push away from the table. You know, that, uh, one, I think that's poor form as a gamer, but I also understand that some people just get that frustrated and like, you know, I'm not investing my time in this any, anymore. I'm going to go play. But yeah, even, even if they're, even if they're polite enough to sit through the rest of the game, you game sure that they're not, they're never going, they're, they're, they're never coming back. Yeah. And gamers are hard enough to, you know, good players are hard enough to come by as it is. You don't want to alienate anybody. Yeah. 
And I think you just hit on a, a completely different part of it that no one's mentioned up to this point is the gamemanship, the, you know, the, the personal aspect of it, because there's been games that Marty and I have played. And once I just got whomped, we still have fun because we're <laughs> playing games. Well, yeah. when you're Sergeant West's nuts with the uh, power fist oh, yeah. down <laughs> all my tanks, I'm like, what the? But yeah, hey, well, still, you know, you're with friends. You're playing a game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, that's what it, it comes down to. It, well, I was going to say, and then when we, uh, uh, when Chris and I play tested the, uh, oh, uh, which game was that? It was uh, Ultra Combat Modern. When we were trying to figure that out before we uh, uh, did the uh, the video, Chris destroyed me. <laughs> yeah. It was bad. So everyone that he didn't kill, he captured of my guys, <laughs> and he killed most of them. And I don't think I took any uh, damage. Uh, no, I, I hit one of your guys. I think. I think I got one. I think I got one dude. He survived. I didn't kill him. Right. I think I hit, I think I hit one the whole time. I was, yeah, it was not good, <laughs> but it was fun. We had a good time. Yeah, yeah, and and that's it. We got to push our little dudes around my kitchen table and sort out how how the the rules were working and drank uh, some good beer. Yeah, uh, and then uh, then we worked with Colin on the uh, uh, morale stuff uh, for Arata because that was part of what we couldn't figure out. So it was good times. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Any final thoughts before we close out today's show? Uh, it was a good topic. Uh, so you guys out there listening to the podcast, make sure you uh, comment your thoughts on um, how you feel about playing in these type of games or scenarios. As you know, personally, for me, I really enjoy the challenge. You know, I may know, may go into it knowing I'm probably not going to win, at least in the, you know, last man standing category, but, you know, like in Jim's cases, I might screw up that timeline where it's, a you know, a victory based upon the criteria. So I uh, always enjoy that challenge. I always like the, uh, you know, the true grit, if you will, of the human spirit. So um, I enjoy those kind of games. And what do you guys think out there? Let us know in the comments. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share our podcast, our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, Facebook, and make sure you visit our website, that website, again, is www.thesitreppodcast.com. Check it out, and make sure you check out our, the supply room for all the awesome merch we got going on. And last but not least, make sure you check out our sponsor, ModernMini3D.com, and uh, check out what they have to offer. So for Bill and the rest of the crew, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Sit Rep Podcast. Enjoy your gaming weeks, and we will see you shortly in the next exciting adventure of the Sit Rep Podcast. Take care. You have been listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 